You're listening to an audio sermon from Hope Bible Church Kelowna. For more information about our church, please visit hopekelowna.ca. Father, a million angels fall, and we are gathered here, but a few dozen people that seek to follow Jesus. Thank you for the glimpse of Christ in eternity. Thank you for um, your call out to us that he must increase and we must decrease. And Father, we confess that our flesh wars against that. But we thank you for his testimony that if I be lifted up, I will draw all men to me. And so, Father, we seek to lift him up this morning. Above all that we would do, may we lift Christ for his glory. Amen. Sometimes do you feel like, uh, thank you music team, that we've done church already. It's a beautiful thing. Uh, a couple questions for you, just as we get underway. Two questions from the Andrew Peterson song, Is He Worthy? Does the Father truly love us, and does the Spirit move among us? I think in the last 36 hours, I've been reminded that the Father truly loves us, and the Spirit does move amongst us. Meldon anticipated speaking today. I'm sure you anticipated Meldon speaking, and uh, yet you find me here. Uh, he was going to launch in earnest the series of, uh, from Ephesians 6, Fight Well. And uh, even before last uh, Sunday, Meldon reached out to a couple of us and just said, you know, it might be a good thing if, if, um, if someone just had, you know, some sermon thoughts, um, I think you put it, baking uh, underway. And so I jotted down a couple of things. And then just in my personal um, study time throughout the week, just you know, jotted down a few more thoughts and started to build or construct out maybe the bones of a message. But I fully anticipated, Melvin, you'd be speaking and that I would not. And then Friday night came and again, Melvin reached out to a couple of us into a, there's a group that, um, uh, you know, a Friday night group that just uh, thinks about the message ahead on Sunday and prays about that. And then the decision, uh, Todd, will you step, step in? And so turned up the dial of study time, and here I am. But here's the sweetness. Here's the sweetness of the Father's love and of the Spirit's moving. Um, there was a passage that was going to be read this morning from 1 Peter, and we're going to talk um, from 2 Peter today. But the scripture reading today was pre-decided. I think most often the, the speaker will have some input in that. Um, and when the Zephaniah passage was selected, it was not known today what the message would be. That the message today would also be about what God promises for the future and how we should act today. But the Holy Spirit knew that. The song set is locked and loaded well in advance of a Sunday and, um, and usually independent of what the message will be. And when the song Echo Holy, which we only just learned last week, and then became the song uh, just before this message was decided. Haley and the team did not know what today's message would be about. But the Holy Spirit knew that. And the closing song, which we'll participate in later, the one song that um, you know, the speaker might, might ask, hey, would that just align to the, you know, here's something that might align to the message today. Uh, when that was song was chosen, it was not known who would be speaking today and what the message would be. But the Holy Spirit knew that. 
And so we thank God for, for Meldon, and we give thanks for that very many other hands that, that bring a Sunday morning to life. Um, and sometimes we have to call an audible, and there's a change of hands. But be encouraged this morning that we are in the loving hands of a father. And we make our plans, but he orders the steps. And maybe, just maybe, maybe just maybe this morning, all of our minds and hearts will be open to the preparation of God wants to do this morning ahead of the Fight Well series. Yes? Amen? Amen. Well, then, as Melvin would say, let's get at it. Because <laughs> the mission uh, does indeed march on. So if you have a Bible, we'd love for you to op uh, open that up. If you don't have one, I know we've got a couple, at least over there, just raise your hand and we'll get that to you or you can go grab one over on the counter. If you're at home, YouTube, just open up that Bible. Um, wherever you are, uh, let's do that. And if you don't own a Bible, uh, we would love to give you a Bible. Uh, this is holy. Some churches stand when the Bible's read. Uh, Jesus, when he started his ministry and read from scripture, stood and, uh, and earlier on, when we had that Zephaniah passage read, and it's been our custom of late to say after that, this is the word of the Lord. Here's my question to you. When you hear this is the word of the Lord, is it kind of a wimpy, mamby-pamby, this is the word of the Lord? Or this is the word of the Lord with some, some uh, charisma and some, and some excitement? The last time, a couple times I've spoken, I've made it a point to actually start with reading the passage and, uh, and just... Um, speaking to myself and to you that everything else that gets said on a, on a Sunday morning or spoken uh, pales or it runs a, a distant second. Uh, Melvin last week uh, made the comment that sometimes the preacher gets in the way of God's word. Half or more, I think, of last week's sermon time was reading God's word. I don't know that I've ever gone to church and we've read a whole book of the Bible. We're not talking about, you know, like Jude or, you know, the one chapter books like 3 John or 2 John. We, we read a whole book last Sunday. And that was a poignant moment, I think, for many of us. Isaiah 40 says, grass, grass withers, flowers, flowers fade, but the word of the Lord will endure forever, stand forever. So I'm just a simple guy with some musings um, as I walk before God, but it kind of struck me yesterday thinking that exactly 2,000 years ago, Jesus walked on earth. Like right at this time, 2,000 years ago, he was walking on earth. And he said that those that worship God must worship him in spirit and in truth, right? Like a great many things that Jesus said, uh, he's pretty clear, pretty definitive, pretty black and white. It's not left to subjective um, uh, interpretation. It's binary. It's, it is in or it's out. Those that worship God must worship in spirit and in truth. It seems to me that we've been left with two things to support us in that. The Holy Spirit and his holy word. His spirit to call my spirit into alignment so that I might worship him. And his word to provide truth so that I might actually worship him. So this morning we're gonna find ourselves in 2 Peter chapter three. And ahead of us looking at that chapter, a little bit of a thinker question. I want you to think about this. Is it possible 
that thinking about tomorrow can have a profound effect on how you act today. Looking forward, can that have a tangible, palpable, measurable impact on how you live today? Arguably now, the Bible, of course, calls us to live in the moment, right? Uh, don't worry about tomorrow. We read Matthew 6, sufficient for today is its own trouble. James tells us don't bank on tomorrow because you don't know what a day is going to bring. Uh, in the Psalms, we read this is the day that the Lord has made. Rejoice! I will rejoice and be glad in it. But all that said, does the Bible also teach that looking forward has a direct impact on your life today? So before we read 2 Peter 3, I just want to set the table. Peter's ministry was especially or primarily to the Jew. We read that in Galatians. Whereas Paul was more especially to the Gentile or the non-Jew. Uh, they weren't exclusive. Rather, in fact, it was very much an inclusivity uh, thing where they're bre breaking down the walls of difference between the segregation between two people groups and bringing them together. Why, how? By presenting the gospel of Jesus Christ um, as the ultimate reconciler. You see, if you want to see true uh, diversity, inclusivity going on, which is very popular in, in, um, in, in corporate uh, uh, North American and politics, if you want to see that actually in play, then come to Christ who is the great reconciler of people and the great unifier of people to God and to each other. And so Peter provides us these two epistles and they've been dubbed the wilderness epistles because they were written to the, the Jew that was dispersed, right? Through persecution because of their faith in Jesus Christ, they were dispersed. And so these epistles are written to the Jew that's been, um, had to flee their homeland. He writes about the grace of God to help equip them to deal with adversity and with trial and that sort of thing. And then we come to 2 Peter, and like I, I think all of the second epistles, um, it's, a, um, it's a corrective book. It's got correction in it, where the first epistles tend to be a little more teaching uh, than the second ones come along, and they're a little bit more of that voice of the prophet or the, the exhorter. Uh, we've got some things we've got to address. And so we come to chapter 3, and so let's read that. This is now the second letter that I am writing to you, beloved, in whom, in both of them, I am sitting up, setting up your sincere, sorry, stirring up your sincere mind by way of a reminder that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandments of the Lord and Savior through your apostles. Knowing this, first of all, that scoffers are going to come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires, they will say, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. For they deliberately overlooked the fact. Just sometimes wonder, does it sound so familiar today? Deliberately overlooking um, the fact that the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God and that by means of these the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. But by the same word, the heavens and earth that grow, that now exist, are, are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years is one day. 
The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done in it will be exposed. Talk about global warming. You ain't seen nothing yet. Since, since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found in him without spot or blemish and at peace. And count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as your, uh, our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him, as he does in all his letters when he speaks of them as those matters. There are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do the other scriptures. You therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away with the, uh, with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. I want to ask you, what are you looking forward to? And I, I invite you to keep the passage open. We're just going to keep bouncing uh, in and out of here regularly. What are you looking forward to? What are you planning for? What are you hoping for? And does that affect your life today in any way? What are you doing in anticipation of something that is going to come while you wait? What difference does that make to you on a day-to-day um, basis before the event. I'm going to give you an example. Like, if you're looking forward to retirement, then you might be saving some money. You're actually setting aside the pleasure of spending that money today in anticipation of some future benefit. I think of our family vacation in 2019, the 13 of us off to um, Disney World down in Florida. That was planned two, three, four years ahead of time. And then we get to the year before and we start in earnest and accommodations are booked. You're consulting a travel agent. Time goes on and you're starting to, you know, uh, buy up some currency um, uh, that looks a little different than ours, getting ready for that day. And then just a couple months before getting up, uh, I think it was four mornings, four different mornings, getting up at four o'clock or 4.30 in the morning because we've got to book those fast passes, right, for that, for that ride we're going to take months uh, later. And then the day arrives and the Mickey ears get donned and, and off we go. Right? You could think of birthdays. Think of Carrie Ann's birthday last year, the 60th, and planning for that. And it could be smaller events. It could be Thanksgiving or Halloween or Christmas. And we're looking forward to something. And then life is changed before that event actually happened. Here's my heart for today's message. Here's my heart. Share, I want to share with you a way to change your behavior. To reduce or even stop some dysfunctional behavior that you have, or to increase or start some uh, beneficial or some desired behavior, would you be willing to give that a shot? If it was a truism from the Bible, 
Not a self-help, a truism from the Bible. Or would we perhaps be a little honest with ourselves and say there's some things we actually don't want to change. Maybe we don't believe we can change that. Maybe there's some things we're fearful about changing. And that might be just fear of what others would say. Maybe we're just afraid that I'm going to fail again. Or it's going to be a cost to my lifestyle. Some because we know it means I'm going to have to change my values. And I don't want to. Because as Jesus said, where your treasure is, where you place value, that's where your heart is. You're going to find your heart there too. And as Meldon mentioned last week at the launch of the, um, of the Fight Well series from Ephesians 6, we're being called to stand and to avoid apathy. So what will it be, folks? In Joshua 24, we read, Choose this day whom you will serve. And just before that very well-known call, command, we read this, If serving the Lord doesn't seem at all desirable, if it doesn't seem exciting, if it seems you've got a bit of apathy about serving the Lord, well, if that's the case, he says, I'm calling you out. Choose this day whom you will serve. But as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. So Todd, you still haven't given us any scriptural truth or principle or example of how, how my behavior might actually change by just looking forward to something. Well, let's start with, with um, 1 John Two, I'll just read a couple of verses there in chapter three. And it says, um, beloved, we love that. We are God's children now. We all love that. Uh, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know, we know that when he appears, we will be like him because we shall see him as he is. We love that. And here's the thing. And everyone, everyone, Everyone here today, if you have that hope in you, you purify yourself as he is pure. The Bible says, if I'm looking forward to seeing him and being like him, I will be purified. There will be sanctification going on in my life now. We could look at others. There's um, Hebrews 4. Uh, the first 10 verses speaking of the promise of entering into eternal rest. And then with that forward look in mind, we get to verse 11 and it, it uh, calls us into action. Hebrews 11, Moses, looking forward to the reward from God. He gave up the fleeting pleasures of the time and place he lived. And then our passage this morning, after uh, looking ahead in the first 10 verses, then there's verse 11 and we of people ought you to be. But maybe we just admit a little bit, I kind of like my middle-class North America rewards of this day and time. And sure, heaven is in my tomorrow, but I don't need to do the Moses exchange thing. I, I actually can have both. You know, when we moved from uh, the west side into, into Kelowna, a little mantra had, mantra had been brewing in my, in my head and my heart for a year or so. And it was just uh, something that I felt we needed to ensure uh, would be in the church that we were going to congregate with people, uh, other followers of Jesus. And this was it. 
More Jesus, more eternity. And I don't know if Melvin, if you remember, um, recall that, but I even shared that with, with Melvin when I uh, met a time or two in our early days at Hope when we'd meet for coffee. Uh, here's my contention or my premise. This is my premise. That the demise of um, North American mainstream e evangelicalism, where we've got this increased apathy and we've got pursuit of program over the person, is directly connected to the decrease in how much we're preaching and teaching about heaven and hell. I'm going to say that again, just my premise. That the demise of mainstream Christian evangelicalism, especially in North America, this increase of apathy and this, this fixation on program over the person of Jesus Christ is directly connected to a reduction and elimination of preaching and teaching about heaven and hell. I've long been taken with that 1 John 3 passage and these other passages, which seemingly suggest that by not considering the future that God has laid out, that's presented to believers, we do so at our own peril and we miss out on the purifying effect that it provides today. The point is, many of the things that we're looking forward to affect our living today. It might preoccupy our minds and our hearts, we might uh, save money for it. It might be like our family's annual um, uh, outing to, uh, in the Christmas season sometime to a buffet so that, you know, for about the 24 hours before that, I really reduce my intake so that I can, you know, <laughs> how, many, how many times can I get back to that buffet table, right? The point is when we're looking forward to something that we put value on, it affects um, our living in the moment. Something more poignant might have been uh, when Heidi and I walked across Spain on the Camino or did the West Coast um, Trail. We did our research, right, long before the event. We bought equipment. We did training. Well, maybe not so much training. Um, but see, when we focus on something in the future as having value, of great value, it will change your life today. You're living in the present. What are you looking forward to? What are you waiting for? What are you intentionally focused on and valuing that's amending your preoccupations today? So 2 Peter 3, jump in there, it asks uh, the question, knowing what God says about what the future holds, what sort of people ought you to be when it comes to your calendar, when it comes to your conduct, and when it comes to your mind? In short, this is just discipleship 101. So the first one up, what sort of people ought you to be when it comes to your calendar? What are you, what's your planning like? What's your frame of reference when you think about the future? What um, upcoming horizon are your eyes uh, fixed on? Because as we read here, time may go on and on. A thousand years is but a day to the Lord. On the other hand, it may end in a moment before this very service is done. Really? Like, do you believe that? Like, I mean, really, really believe that. Christ could return before the service is done. And if that truly is a possibility, would you be more engaged than you are at this very moment? Maybe you wouldn't even be here. Would you be on the mission field somewhere? Here at Hope, our doctrinal statement includes this. We believe in 
and expectantly await the glorious, visible, personal, premillennial return of the Lord Jesus Christ. The blessed hope of his return has vital bearing on the personal life, service, and mission of the believer. Come back to that. We believe in the bodily resurrection of both the saved and the lost. The lost will be raised to judgment and experience eternal wrath in hell. The saved will be raised to eternal joy in the new heaven and new earth in the manifested presence of God. Two Amen. Two questions. Do you believe that? And before we rush and say yes, then what does the vital bearing on your personal life, service, and mission of life look like in your life? I mean tangibly and practically. What does it look like? Come on now. If someone was trying to convict me in a court of law that I believed in and expectantly awaited the glorious, visible, personal, premillennial return of, of my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, would they have enough evidence to convict me? Does my life look any different than my neighbor who does not believe that? Sure, our calendars might end up being a marathon. We might be in this for the long obedience in, in the same direction. And yet it might be an imminent ending. I, I think whenever imminent ending, I always think, I've probably shared this before, but the story of when our kids were young and um, we usually often lived in a small town. And so sometimes, you know, every so often Carrie Ann would, would go for the day to the big city shopping. And so we just live life, you know, dad and, and the kids. I was going to say normal. That's probably never normal. But, but we, lived, we tried to live life normal. We had to eat and, you know, play and do the normal things. But then the signs that the day was ending started to show and the imminent return of Carrie Ann. And so the house would be in order. And then the sound of every car would be, is she back? Is she home? That's uh, thinking imminent, right? Life might be four score for any one of us, but it might be a twinkling of an eye changed in a moment. Jesus said to Peter, Peter was asking Jesus, you know, well, what about John after the resurrection? And Jesus said to uh, Peter about John, well, if he lives until I return, what's that to you? The point is, each of us is supposed to live faithfully, whether we have four score years or just a twinkle of the eye left. In the parable of the 10 virgins, uh, they were left and, and to keep their lamps lit and they were uh, supposed to be ready uh, for when the master would return. And half of them planned ahead. What if this is a longer absence? But half of them did not. And when it comes to our calendar outlook, I think we would do well to be Psalm 90 people. So Lord, teach us to number our days. Why? That we might get a heart of wisdom. I would encourage you to take a read of Psalm 90 if you want um, a perspective on your calendar of what sort of people ought you to be when it comes to your calendar. Or Psalm 31, my times are in your hand. The idea in our 2 Peter 3 passage is that as far as God is concerned, our finite perception of time is irrelevant. What compri uh, comprises time on earth in no way affects God's master plan. The matter at hand is this, whether we live in expectation of his return. What's it gonna take people for us to believe 2 Peter 3 and to live in the reality that this present world is gonna end? 
It's just temporary. Our doctrinal statement here at Hope says, your personal life, service, and mission are going to be different. Your calendar and your checkbook do not lie. What does your calendar tell you about the balance in your life of how much you invest in eternity or in experiences or things that are just going to burn up and be done away with? Go away and read uh, 1 Corinthians 3, 10 to 15. That'll grab you. And after you read that, then ask yourself, do, do I require a Costco-sized shopping cart for my wood, hay, and stubble? And maybe, just maybe, a little bag, if a bag at all, for the gold, silver, and precious stones. Second uh, uh, question we'll look at is, what sort of people ought you to be when it comes to your conduct? Knowing God's got a plan, and I'm a follower of Jesus, what sort of people ought you to be when it comes to your conduct? Just as we had two calendar views, there's two occupations of life that are presented here. The first is, there is living without spot or blemish and at peace. If I believe what God tells me about the future, I live at peace. Fear has no place for the follower of Jesus who is fixated on a hope that is yet to come. What areas of your life require some cleanup? We all have them. We all have them. And if you're challenged to come up with one, just take a look at Galatians 5, 19 to 23. You have the deeds of the flesh and the fruit of the spirit. Just, just look at that comparison. And you're not gonna have to think too long once you read that. You'll start making a list. And then go to God. And then the second conduct, there is this participation in his salvation plan. We read here that God's patience and his long-suffering over centuries of dealing with the human race has been with a view of this, a view of salvation for any that will turn to him, who will confess their sin and believe the message of Christ. If this morning you don't know Christ Jesus as Lord, nothing is more important, nothing. There's a hell to fear and a heaven to gain. Our chapter here connects really well with Hebrews 12. And here's what we read there. Please do not close your ears to he who speaks from heaven, whose voice has shaken the earth and will yet again. Our God is a consuming fire. And he goes on and says, but you, but you can be part of a kingdom that cannot be moved. And for those of us here this morning that are saved, I want you to consider verse 9. Take a look at chapter 3 here, verse 9. I want you to look at it this way. Who do you have in your life that you read into that verse? The Lord is not slow in fulfilling his promise to return, but is patient towards whom? Name them. Is patient towards Sally. Not wishing Sally to perish, but for Sally to come to repentance. Could you imagine if Christ returned today and you had not yet shared with Sally the available salvation? If I have my eye fixed on what God's plan is, I'm participating in his salvation plan. And then the third one, what sort of people ought you to be when it comes to your mind? Man, the Bible's got a lot to say about the mind. It is where we 
uh, all of life proceeds from. It's how we operate, and it produces our actions. We've got a vast a smorgasbord of instruction and support in the Bible. And by the way, false teachers carry Bibles. That's why verse 17 calls us to, to take care, be on guard. That's why we're going to put on the armor of God. On your own, sometime check out Ephesians 4, 14 and 15, just together with verses 17 and 18 here. Beautiful parallel. But in Isaiah 55, we read this. Seek the Lord. And by the way, he's writing to the people of God. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is available. Forsake thinking and ways that are not of God. Return to the Lord who will have compassion on you, who will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, and your ways are not my ways, declares the Lord. Just as we've got two calendar views and two uh, occupations of life that were presented, there's two disciplines of the mind here. So verse 17, I'm just sort of almost going to look at it, the antithesis of it. But here's what we need to understand. One will not drift into verse 17. You will not fail like verse 17 if you keep your eye on Jesus and your heart on things above or things to come. You will manage down, or verse 17 will be less of an issue in your life if I am focused on the future that God has ordained. That when walking with God in holiness, we preserve ourselves from destructive heresies and from uh, uh, walking in truth protects us from sin. And then verse 18, which is really just a remedy for all spiritual ails. Am I fixated on him? Am I feeding on the equipping grace that God provides? Am I learning about the one I profess to follow? Do I have the heart as Paul expressed in Philippians 3? He said, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of what? Of the knowledge of knowing Christ, our minds fixated on him, that I might know him and the fellowship of his uh, suffering. We're going to spend eternity with him. Might as well get to know him now. Proverbs 23 and 7, as a man thinks in his heart, that's who you are. So is he. 2 Corinthians 10 and 5. Love this one. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take captive every thought. Why? To obey Christ. When we fix our minds on him, we obey him. If you're like me, you're trying to obey him. Putting that ahead, the, the horse before the cart or the cart before the horse, right? We've got to fix our minds on him, and then we will obey him. Philippians 4 and 8, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, whatever's commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. And then we got the massive treasure of meditations that we could pull out of the Psalms. The question is, is um, have you come to a place in your life where a past temptation is no longer presenting the same appeal to you? Are you better able to discern counterfeit claims? Do others notice a change in your character? Second Peter 3 would suggest that ought to be. And what's one preoccupation of the mind that I, I just highly recommend? 
that does help uh, you deal with fear and with handling what goes on in the job and what you should buy or not buy and even ha helps you handle COVID. That's one preoccupation. When we read through this chapter, you've got verses 1 to 7, talks about the importance of keeping in memory that which they learned from the Old Testament prophets and the importance of keeping the commandments of our Savior. In fact, verse 2, you've got the whole Bible. <clears throat> you've got the Old Testament prophets, you've got Jesus, and you've got the New Testament. It's all there. Keep it in remembrance. Now, see if this sounds familiar. Because they had the Old Testament. They had the Law and the Prophets for centuries. They had the testimony of God, who by the Holy Spirit inspired different individuals to record uh, God's message. They were urged here to not neglect the Scriptures, but to keep them in their hearts. Because the Scriptures would shed light on their pathway for today and for what's coming. Sound familiar? Here we sit, 2,000 years later, with the completed canon of Scripture. And it goes on there, and it says in the last days, there's going to be those who will utterly trash the truth of divine revelation. That scoffers will hate the truth because it interferes with their personal lives, their personal agendas. It interferes with their selfish desires. People will be walking after their own ungodly lusts, deriding the word of God as being just ridiculous and not for one moment to be considered relevant for rationally-minded people. That's what God said would come. Even amongst many churches, from behind many pulpits, there's a decline to speaking about the second coming of Christ. And if it's there, sometimes here and there, it's kind of this idle dream, this fairy tale wish, this idyllic thought, right? That has no concrete evidence um, for its imminent occurrence. Just as in the days of Noah, only a very few are, going to, are prepared to live based on the reality of God's testimony. The question is asked here in 2 Peter 3, where's the promise of his coming? I mean, really. Because all things are just continuing as they always have been from creation. Oh, but not for us here at Hope Kelowna. Self-aggrandizing as we might tempted to be on occasion. But I ask you, who in your life knows that you believe in the second coming of Christ? Or do they see that my values and my actions and my behaviors, my pursuits, my preoccupations of life just scream, hey, you know what? All things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. Think about the book of Job, who lived before the flood. People were saying then, uh, depart from us, uh, God. Uh, we don't desire the knowledge of your ways. They dismiss God as someone high in the heavens, this higher power that um, really didn't have much to do with them or didn't uh, do anything to them or for them or through them. They forgot that their houses were filled with all kinds of good things. So as I begin to close and think about some things, I want to come back to that question. What are you waiting for? It could be something positive. That's the way we're looking at it. Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to something. But I want to put an alternate tone to pose that question. When Jesus left and he ascended into heaven, a bunch of his followers were around and they, they just stood there staring at heaven. And then these two guys in white robes showed up and said, uh, what are you doing? Jesus is coming back. 
And they got busy. They went back to the city, they prayed, and they waited for the Holy Spirit. And then they went out and changed the world. And recently, uh, well, uh, we too, as we've read, have this hope, Jesus is coming back. And recently here at Hope, uh, we've been um, uh, you know, calling ourselves to gather and pray. And now I'm just wondering, at the prompting of this same Holy Spirit that moved all those people, is it time for us to act? Knowing that all of these things will happen, what sort of people ought you to be? Like, let's get at it. John 14, Jesus said, I will come again. Revelation 22, these words are trustworthy and true. God is showing us what must soon take place. Three times we read in that chapter, behold, I'm coming soon. 2 Peter 3, 9, as we read here, the Lord is not slow or slack concerning his promise. After all, it's only been a couple of days since Jesus left. But does he find us slack concerning our vows, our commitments? John 4, this grabs me. John 4, Jesus said this, my food is to do, we know this passage, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you not say there's yet four months, then comes the harvest? Look, I'm telling you, lift up your eyes. See that the fields are white with the harvest. Sometimes I think our looking forward becomes an excuse. Sometimes our what are you waiting for is just an excuse to do nothing. Oh, it's, it's going to be a while yet. It's going to be a while yet. There's plenty of time before I need to be engaged. In Acts 26, Paul, uh, or King Agrippa said to Paul, uh, almost, almost you persuade me. And then we never hear that he actually uh, moved forward from that. We've had some pretty impactful messages of late uh, from Eldon. Maybe by God's grace, even this morning, you're thinking, oh, almost, you almost persuade me. I'm going to call the band up, and as, as they come up, this, the closing song. Here's some of the lyrics from that closing song. You are who you say you are. You'll do what you say you'll do. Our hope is in you alone. Our peace in the darkest days. This we know. We will see the victory come. We hold on to every promise you ever made. Our God through the wilderness. Our joy in the heaviness. Our way when it seems there is no way. We trust you. Your ways are higher than our own. The final words of our chapter here in 2 Peter 3 are this. To him be the glory both now and for the day of eternity. Amen. We are indeed to look forward. But for that to change our living today. In doing so, then he will receive glory. 1 John 3 says, whoever has the hope of Christ returning purifies himself. What are you waiting for? What sort of people ought you to be? Let's pray. Now, Father, we thank you for your sovereignty that spans uh, not only uh, multiple millennia, but for all eternity. And thank you for your uh, plan to glorify your son, and that plan included redeeming a people that would glorify him here today. We look forward to a day when we'll do that together. And so, Father, I, I simply pray a prayer that was prayed um, thousands of years ago. O Lord Jesus Christ, give us a measure of your spirit that we may be enabled to obey your teaching, to pacify anger, 
to take part in pity, to moderate desire, to increase love, to put away sorrow, to cast away vainglory, not to be vindictive, not to fear death, ever entrusting our spirit to immortal God, who with you and the Holy Ghost live and reign the world without end. Amen.